Hi, this is Paula. And I'm Joseph, and you're listening to Life Lived Better. Hey, everybody. Welcome to this week's episode of A Life Lived Better with Joseph and Paula. We're so glad you joined us. Yes, great to great to be here recording today on this beautiful Monday. Always, always good to be together. Well, how are things going in your world? Things are good, just busy. You know, like a whole week has passed and it just feels like I've just blinked. Yeah, I just realized that it's going to be April next month or next week, which is crazy to me. It's real hard to believe. That means it's spring. Yeah. Though nice. still a little chilly. Somebody was talking about their fiscal year ending in the first quarter, and I was like, wow, that can't be possible, but it is. It's crazy. We are already a quarter way through another year. Mm -hmm. It does go faster the older you get. That is what they said, and I did not believe it. I didn't didn't believe anything. I am a believer now. (laughs) I didn't believe anything they told me, but uh, it's all come true. Yep, it has. Now I try to tell the youngsters, and they don't believe me. (laughs) nope everybody knows better when Mm. you're younger and so the cycle goes yes which uh kind of what we're talking about today a little bit isn't it yeah a little bit so our topic today is dysfunctional families there's a lot of a lot of good information we found some some examples of what a dysfunctional family looks like Mm. kind of what you may see characteristic wise in a dysfunctional family I don't know about you, but I definitely, uh, definitely experienced some dysfunction in my family. I always say my family put the fun in dysfunction. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, <laughs> Trained me well to be a counselor, I believe. Right. Yeah. So this, this, this dysfunctional family, something every treatment center I've ever worked in, we talk about a lot with clients. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's pretty, pretty common with folks that struggle with addiction that there's mm-hmm. dysfunction within the family. I believe that it was um, two social workers that worked in addiction who put together the idea of a dysfunctional family and addiction. Oh, really? That little uh, graphic that we always use with all the little family roles. That was Mm -hmm. um, John Bradshaw and Claudia Black. who put that together and kind of made it famous, if you will, in the 80s. I did not know that. I use that graphic all the time for this topic. Me too. It's it's what I see in my head when mm-hmm. we talk about the, I just see that that graphic with each little roll on it. And I always think it's important when we talk about dysfunctional families that a dysfunctional family has a lot of different looks. You know, the dynamics in dysfunctional families are pretty complex. So your family doesn't have to look like another family to have some dysfunctional characteristics. Good point. I don't know. I started to say maybe there's levels to dysfunction, but um, I guess that I guess it just depends on how many characteristics of dysfunction are within mm-hmm. the family. I'm not sure, but yeah. definitely some would be more noticeable than others. Yeah, definitely. I think that you, it's kind of like on. I've always thought of it as on a spectrum. You know, you don't have mm. to be the absolute worst to have some dysfunction and have been raised in a, a system that has a lot going for it but still affected you and because of mm-hmm. some of the dysfunction because it is it's just different and that's uh, why it's important i think that you look at your own family rather than comparing yourself to a different family right 
something. And you never really know what's going on in other families. You know, I remember there was a family I knew growing up that they're, they just appeared to be the perfect family, you know, two kids, boy and a girl. Kids were super successful and went to college and did all the things that you're supposed to do. And then years later, we found out that the kids had all these problems and were constantly, you know, kind of one, I think, was dealing with addiction and one had some made some really poor choices. But the family just did this incredible job at keeping up this appearance, you know, Mm -hmm. from the outside. They looked like this perfect family. You would Mm -hmm. never know Mm -hmm. that they had, you know, this craziness going on within their family. Sometimes all that dysfunction can manifest as high productivity. Like mm-hmm. we look perfect, you know, and that doesn't, that's, that can stem from dysfunction. That's just, you know, if a, like the person is just gets it all right and always looks like they're together, that could be dysfunctional because nobody mm-hmm. really is always right and always together. Right. Perfectionism. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And of course, we always like to define uh, what we're talking about. And we have a pretty good and concise definition of, of dysfunctional family. And it comes from uh, McGraw-Hill, the, the modern medicine dictionary. And it says that it is a family with multiple internal or external conflicts that affect the basic needs of the family unit. And so that's probably why you don't always see it. You don't, you don't, you can't really see whether all the basic needs of a family are being met. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it gives some pretty good examples of what that could include things like sibling rivalries, um, conflicts within, within parents and children, domestic violence or abuse, mental illness, alcohol and drug abuse, gambling addictions, unemployment, financial issues. And trauma, trauma within the family. Mm-hmm. I like also how it mentions like extramarital affairs or single parenthood. I think like extramarital affairs, you there are families that have been together for many years that just there's always been a continued relationship outside of the marriage. So that has to impact the family, even mm-hmm. when it looks really good on 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 a lot of ways. And the thing I wanted to say about single parenthood there are some people out there killing it. You know, they are just busting their humps, taking care of their kid because they don't have help from the other uh, parent. But doing that, there may be times that maybe those children are alone or, or having to kind of fend for themselves, not out of anything that the parent's doing wrong, but just because of the circumstance they're in. It's tough being a single parent. I oh, can't God. imagine kind of, I, I hear my sister talking about all the stuff that she does for her kids and running around and working full time. And she's not a single parent. She has, you know, their two parent household, but it still sounds completely overwhelming. So I can't imagine being a single parent mm-hmm. dealing with all of that. You just, I mean, from the time kids are in about, oh, I, I don't even know. I mean, I can't even think of an age that my son wasn't busy, but just you know, until they graduate and can start driving on their, or could start driving on their own. I just, it seems like I was always somewhere, you know, in some kind of activity. So I can't imagine parents who have more than one child. Mm-hmm. Like I just, I hear families talking about when multiple children are busy, you know, having to make a decision about whether you go to that 
piano recital or that soccer game because sometimes right. they happen at the same time. It's just there's so much going on in families. Yeah. And some some families have like minor dysfunction and some have deeply rooted dysfunction that become serious problems, you know. So and there's a lot of factors that that kind of contribute. And so there's like we said, varying degrees of dysfunction, but there are a lot of factors that lead to the outcome, uh, you know, mm -hmm. in adulthood from a person that has grown up in a dysfunctional family. Yeah, I think some of the information that, that we found talks about, you know, how some of your, your childhood issues become adult issues and kind of um, worsen as you become an adult. Mm -hmm. And so those are kind of some of the some of the factors that can kind of play into um, what a dysfunctional family may look like. Yeah. Um, just generally unstable, lots of conflict. Um, one of the things that stood out to me was how it talked about, you know, the, the, maybe the primary caregiver spent more time on their own needs and not so much time on the children's needs, which leads to, you know, it's a type of neglect, abuse um, within the family. Yeah, absolutely. I, th I think that, um, you know, the ACEs test, um, it's that we give all clients whenever they enter into addiction treatment is something that I think everyone should probably, if you wonder if you have any kind of trauma from childhood, it's uh, something that everyone should probably just take a look at if they think of maybe having been affected. Mm -hmm. It just kind of helps indicate a level of dysfunction if you had any kind of traumatic experiences as a child. Yeah, I think we linked to that in a previous episode. I can't remember which episode it was. I think we did, and I can definitely link it again. You yeah. know, anybody can get it. It's just ACES, Adverse Childhood Experiences, or ACEs. It was developed in the 1990s, uh, and it was some uh, research that the CDC and Kaiser Permanente did. Huh. It just kind of looks at physical, verbal, sexual abuse, Emotional, physical neglect, separation, divorce, mental illness, drug addiction or drug drug or alcohol use, incarceration, and being witness to any of those things. Just they found with their research that those things in childhood can definitely, depending on how difficult and how they were managed, could definitely be stressors inside or outside the home that really did traumatize some children. I think it's like those are great examples of different types of trauma because I, th I know we've talked about this previously that you know trauma isn't just a you know one major life event that happens it could just be neglect or some of the things that you just mentioned because it's it's just it's I don't know when I think of trauma I think most people myself included I, I know differently now but I think of like a car accident, or I think of, you know, physical abuse, or, you know, something major, I don't think about neglect, I don't think about, you know, those types of things. I don't think many people do. I think we've mm -hmm. come so far in just the last 10 years on understanding trauma a little better. Mm -hmm. Even children who, you know, feel lonely a lot in childhood can develop self-esteem issues, self-worth issues. So, that's that wouldn't appear to be something traumatic to some people but when we grow up in any kind of toxic environment we kind of develop some kind of skill to cope and sometimes those are maladaptive and then we bring them into our adult years and 
that can, uh, you know, that's when we can start seeing that maybe, maybe there's some issues we need to work on. So um, families with a history of dysfunction, what does that typically look like? Well, basically families that repeat the patterns when children become adults and they become parents, if they repeat dysfunctional parenting styles, which we usually do unless we learn new parenting styles, some of those could have been abusive. And if we are, you know, just perpetrating dysfunctional parenting styles, then we will perpetrate then the, if we perpetrate dysfunctional parenting styles, then we're just kind of passing on generation to generation dysfunctional children. Right. Lovely learned behaviors, mm -hmm. you know, and, things that just kind of get programmed into us. And even like if we do exactly the opposite of a dysfunctional mm -hmm. parent, like if we had a, a really abusive parent, so we are lenient parents, even leniency can cause dysfunction or can cause unhealthy coping skills because that could be like neglecting to teach a child to follow rules or consequences. Absolutely. Sorry. Yeah, absolutely. I've always heard in parenting and I know you know a lot more about parenting than I do as far as um, you have some well, actual I have qualifications. Maybe some education, <laughs> but I don't know about actual parenting yeah. that I know more than you do. <laughs> but you know, like the, the a person that is real rigid versus a person who is very lenient, most dysfunction is whenever a person is inconsistent. Mm -hmm. you know, whenever a kid doesn't know what to expect, like they when they're when a parent is rigid, they know what to expect. They're going to get in trouble all the time. And right. a parent who's lenient, they're not going to get in trouble at all. It's it's whenever a, a kid doesn't know what they're going to get is what kind of creates the most crazy in their mind. Right. And sometimes you get one parent on each side of that. So how like confusing is that for mm -hmm. a child? You know, pick the parent that you want to get the answer that you want from those exactly. types of situations. And you get two people who were who come from different types of uh, parenting and they conflict with one another about how to mm -hmm. discipline the child that can also kind of make a child. I mean, I used the term crazy while ago. I know that that's a pretty derogatory term, yeah. but I think of that term crazy making the mm -hmm. gaslighting, you know, the, the stuff that comes from not knowing what to expect, not knowing what the kind of the right or wrong is in a household. I had this conversation with someone last week and it it's a conversation I find myself having often, which is what you mentioned earlier that you, a lot of people, when they don't know better, they just go the complete total opposite of what they've experienced. And you have to land somewhere in the middle, like part of the education process and the learning and kind of unlearning, if you will, those, those things is kind of figuring out how do you, how do you find the balance between the two, mm -hmm. you know? And I think if you're an adult who has children and you're learning to do things differently to say to your children, like, I, I didn't really know the right way to go about parenting because I had some dysfunctional parenting when I was growing up. So as I'm learning, things may change. Mm -hmm. It's an okay thing to tell your child I'm learning as, you know, I'm kind of learning new stuff too. And to admit maybe that you weren't doing it the way you wished you had as you were, you know, 
as you're learning new things. I think we're afraid sometimes to tell our children that we we were wrong mm -hmm. and that things might be changing. I think that's a real risky thing for parents to tell their kids, but I think it's an okay thing to tell their kids because the um, kids probably already wondering what in the world's going on. Yeah. And what a good lesson that is to be able to, you know, model to your child that you're able to admit your mistakes and your flaws. Mm -hmm. I think so. Some other things that we learned along this journey is that um, whenever there are a lot of medical problems in a home, you know, physical illness alone doesn't cause family dysfunction. However, family, you know, severe medical problems in a family can affect a family. It, it, it can cause anxiety in children. It can cause depression in children, um, especially if, you know, if, if if the child is the person that's ill and they're not cared for or their illness puts some kind of strain on the family so that maybe they feel guilty for their illness. Uh, just there's some times when physical conditions in a family can just cause a child's needs not to be met. Mm -hmm. I don't think I see we that think a of lot. that. No, no, I see that a lot with, you know, even with addiction, you have a, a child that struggles with addiction, the other child doesn't, they don't get the attention or the, you know, the support necessarily. Mm -hmm. And the same thing with a medical situation, like that child has a, has a need that's a primary need. And, you know, it's not, it's there, there's not equal time. There's not equal, you know, it's just not equal in the relationship. So that leads to that dysfunction, mm -hmm. acting out yeah. all kinds of things. And I've even heard, uh, I've heard people in, in, in treatment say like, that, that's my, that's my good kid that I don't have to worry about. Mm -hmm. Like, so when a child is performing well, like, whew, I don't have to worry about them. I need to turn my attention to the one that has the most problems. Mm -hmm. uh, that's, you know, that child is, is, is being neglected at least emotionally in some ways, just because of the way they manifest dealing with their anxiety or, or or any of their feelings related to some sort of dysfunction that's going on in the family is to perform well. Yeah. I didn't have that problem. I wasn't the one that performed <laughs> well. I got the attention by making problems. Yeah. Well, one of the others was uh, mental health. So, you know, the biology plays a role um, in the mental health and mental health illnesses and untreated mental health leads to, you know, disorders, anxiety, depression, the child or the person may act out in unhealthy ways towards the family. And with treatment that can be addressed, some of those behaviors can be addressed. But if you're just dealing with someone who's untreated, struggling with, you know, an underlying mental health issue, then that's going to continue to surface over and over and over in different ways. And yeah. so it's really important to to seek treatment if you have a child or have someone in the family that's struggling with a mental health issue. Right. Especially some, some people with serious mental illness over a lifetime, there tends to be a, a kind of ups and downs because a person maybe isn't on the right medication regimen or when they are on medication, they tend to behave a certain way and then they get off the medication and that kind mm -hmm. of turns life upside down. And the whole family is is dealing with that when one person's dealing with it. Right. I think we fail to see sometimes how much our behavior and our circumstances do uh, impact the people that are so close to us, especially 
the children who have no choice but to be in that situation. At least when we're adults, we have the choice whether or not we interact with certain, you know, with our parents, with our siblings, with our, you know, with friends, you know, whoever Mm -hmm. are in our life, but children have no choice. They are there and they are in that situation. They have to deal with it every day. Right. Just other, other life circumstances, you know, just the stress of other life circumstances, but things that impact a family's safety or well-being definitely impacts the entire family. So like high levels of stress in the family, hostility in the family, not having the tools to deal with those things, not having just regular coping or ability to regulate your emotions, that all impacts a family and could be part of a family dysfunction. Mm-hmm. And then we've got, we've mentioned this one, but addiction. Um, so substance addiction, gambling, psychological addictions, all of those things can lead to, you know, things like codependency, which is, you know, spending excessive amounts of time and energy on maybe one individual, like mm-hmm. the addicted individual in the family. Mm-hmm kind of all the focus becomes about them right by by choice by default like it just it, it just it's all consuming when you have an addicted person in the family and it just kind of ripples out and affects everyone it really does that's why when i hear people say like my addiction isn't hurting anybody but me mm-hmm. they're not looking very closely you know unless they just live alone and and don't interact with other people ever you know, addiction impacts everyone, whether they are the ones addicted or not, which is the reason that I wish there were more opportunities for family members to be part of a treatment experience. Because when the whole family can get treatment is when the opportunity for real change to happen is really there. Right. And and we don't look at, you know, addiction outside of substances very often, like food, no. like mm-hmm. gambling other you know sex um, many things can be addictive shopping i mean you know you walk on somebody you grow up in a house that it, somebody shops so much that an entire room is taken up or hoarding or things that we just you know you you we just don't always look at as addiction right right and the the next one on the list i i like this uh, perfectionism you know Perfectionism is something we get rewarded for a lot, but when we put a lot of pressure on ourselves or for other people in our family to be perfect, that can be really detrimental because perfectionism is unrealistic. We People mm-hmm. aren't always perfect. We don't always achieve top notch. And that can be like you're walking on eggshells. I mean, when you're expecting too much from your child when you expect too much from yourself learning is even difficult because you don't want to ever feel like you don't know or that you aren't always number one and that can cause children to have some self-esteem issues and even parents who have children who aren't always perfect can then feel like they're they're at fault you know for not you know, for a child who gets in trouble at school, like that you've done something horrible because you're not a good parent. It's it's just perfectionism is dangerous. Yeah, it is. 
That's that's one that I put up there with like the control thing, feeling like you have to be in control of everything. Mm -hmm. And I had a therapist tell me once that anytime you think of the word control, put the word illusion in front of it. And, you know, that's that's kind of the truth. Like there isn't really anything that we have control over. It's just mm -hmm. an illusion. The same thing with perfectionism. It's an illusion. It's not mm -hmm. something that we can obtain. You know, it's just not realistic. Yeah. Well, the next one is uh, ineffective communication. So just, you know, in a dysfunctional family, you're not going to have a good communication. Um, there's not going to be a good, good engagement between the family members. There's not going to be a lot of um, honest, open conversations or healthy communication. Mm -hmm. um, oftentimes, a family really struggles to hear the other. It's more talking and less listening leads to a lot of bitterness and passive aggressive kind of communication and behaviors. Again, I think something that helps with this is counseling and treatment as far as learning new tools, learning new ways to be open and honest in communication and putting that pride and ego aside so that you can be more upfront with the emotions and the feelings and everything and learning to just connect and get in touch with what those emotions and feelings are. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, just teaching children to, it's okay to talk and teaching them how to listen and just teaching them all the healthy communication skills, you know, that they learn what they experience. So when we are people who have open communication with one another, we let children, we let our children talk to us honestly, and we don't overreact or, or kind of freak out. I think like growing up sometimes when I wanted to talk to my parents about something, I would rehearse what I was going to say, because I was scared to, you know, say something to them. That probably is a result of not having that um, open communication where you can say things without being afraid someone's going to react, overreact to it. Uh, mm -hmm. I think of times, I think of a time that my son was talking with a friend. And when I walked up, that friend stopped talking, just stopped talking. And my son said, it's okay. She's, she's okay. You can talk to her about that. It's okay. And I, that was like at the moment and he was in high school when this happened, I felt so much pride. I was like, my son's telling one of his friends that I'm a safe person to talk to <laughs> about things. And that made me feel so good. Like if I've done nothing else that I allowed my son to, to talk and have expression without me overreacting to it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's awesome. It, it made me feel real good at that moment. <laughs> uh, his friend was able to he he rode with us home from a football game and uh, it was like an hour drive and he was able to talk with uh, me about a girlfriend problem you know and uh, I was glad my son told him that I was somebody who who would listen yeah and another problem is uh, when when anyone who is the caretaker you know, of a child when they lack empathy you know, when there's not that feeling from a child that they're unconditionally loved, you know, that no matter what, they still love them. Like even when there are consequences for behaviors, they still love them, you know, no matter what, if you make a mistake, I'm not going to put you down. I'm not going to shame you. You may get a consequence because of a rule violation, but I love you no matter what. Mm -hmm. And I think the the good thing, unless you are a narcissist or a psychopath, you can learn to be empathetic. Mm -hmm. You know, that's some, that's a behavior that you can learn. So if you struggle with that, it's thank goodness you can 
learn how to be more empathetic. I agree with that. I think a lot of these things are things that we can kind of learn in our adult life, even as, you know, as early as teenage, as soon as we can recognize them, then we can start learning to change them. Yeah. All right. No matter how old, if you're a parent, no matter how old your children are, mm -hmm. you can, you can start communicating with them differently. The next one on our list is excessive attempts to control. So one family member tries really hard to control the other family members. I immediately thought of, I um, have worked with a family before that trying to encourage their child to get a job and to, you know, be responsible for things. But there were so many limitations, like you can get a job, but it can't be a cash paying job. It can't be a job in the service industry. It can't be a job that, if, you know, you're going to have to work these days and not these days. It was like all of these parameters on, you know, getting the job instead of just, you can get whatever job you want. We just want you to have a job that pays you, right? Wow, yeah. Yeah, so very much like controlling behaviors. And, you know, that's kind of an example. Of, that's where I go when I think of an example of like the control, but also, you know, doing things like telling them, telling kids that you have to make certain grades, that you can't hang out with certain people, you know, all the things that, you know, could could be valid parenting tools, but at the same time, it's for the control side of it. In a dysfunctional family, I think it goes to the extreme. Mm -hmm. Yeah, children need to be autonomous. I mean, they need to have, and, and you do it a little at a time, you know, mm -hmm. you, you don't just say do whatever, you do it a little at a time and they, so they learn trust, you learn, you can trust them, they, they learn boundaries, they learn where the boundary is so when they make decisions as an adult they have that feeling that they're prepared to make these decisions you know instead of always having been controlled like having no idea how to do certain adult things as they become adults is probably because they were never given any chances you know i mean like a, a kid can't cook on an oven you know when they're two but when, as they grow up, they can do little things to pr help prepare a meal. So as they get older, they can do a little more and a little more. And then your mm -hmm. you're, you've taught them how to feed themselves, you know, by the time they become an adult, you do it little bits at a time, but you have to let go of control for them to be able to do that. Uh, mm -hmm. Letting kids take some risks as they are becoming who they are as they are developing who they want to be and i think a, another thing that happens here is that we put the family before the individuals you mm -hmm. know the family needs before the individual needs and that's pretty unhealthy it's important that we let children we let every member of the family become who they are rather than us making them be the model or mold of what this family expects them to be. Mm -hmm. And if there's a lack of seclusion or independence, kind of on either scale, parents in dysfunctional families might lack their, you know, trust of their children. So they invade their space. They invade their you know, independence a little bit. Maybe they go and read their journals. Maybe they go in their room and have so that the child has no space that's their, that is their own. Maybe they say that they want to have honest communication. So they force them 
into answering certain questions. So that doesn't, that doesn't, that's not, that's not really teaching boundaries and teaching a client, a client, I'm sorry, teaching a, a child to be depend, you know, independent of, of, on their own. It's teaching them that there's no boundaries. There's no respect for their own independence. Right. Not allowed that. Right. Well, something else is um, constant criticism. So that's something that I see a lot in families and that can be, you know, just blatant chastising or it can be sarcasm, insults and teasing. Um, but it's something that a lot of families and a lot of dysfunctional families, rather, you're going to see that criticism and it may be aimed towards, you know, one person or it could be that sarcasm is something that is in within the entire family, you know, and those those types, that type of criticism can ultimately lead to, you know, frightening and controlling and isolating, which is, you know, emotional abuse. Mm -hmm. And it, I mean, it's important. I struggle with that myself. Like it's important that we share our concerns with children, but we also share when we're proud of them, like mm -hmm. that we don't always just point out when they do something wrong. We have to balance that with also congratulating them when they get it right. And, you know, I know we want to balance it because, you know, you and I've talked about how like it's hard for us to ever say good things about ourselves because we don't want to sound like we're bragging. I mean, that comes from somewhere, you know, that mm -hmm. that comes probably from parents who didn't want us to be narcissistic. So they, you know, we don't want our children to grow up only celebrating their accomplishments. We want them to be insightful of, you know, their areas that they need to improve, but we have to balance those. We can't just point out the wrongs. Mm -hmm. Or just point out the good, you know, we have to balance those things with a bit of reality. All right. And you talked earlier about the uh, dysfunctional family roles, and there are. So if you've grown up in a dysfunctional family, there are five or six common roles that come up. And I know people ask me, like, can I have, could I be in more than one of these roles? Mm -hmm. You know, yes, absolutely. I mean, these roles were designed back when there was a mom and a dad and four children. So it fit well within these exact roles in a family, but definitely as families change, people may change roles or people may take on more than one role or even you can take on one role in your family and maybe you play a different role if you're in a dysfunctional work environment, you know, mm -hmm. so definitely there are different ones. So we want to kind of go over the, the roles that a, fa a dysfunctional family may play. Yeah. So the first one is the enabler or the caretaker. This is the individual that works really hard to kind of keep the family going despite the addiction or the dysfunction. And our graphic here shows like some of the things that you may see. It also refers to the caretaker as the family hero. Um, so you could hear both of those terms. But on the outside, you may see characteristics like a, a good kid, a high achiever, follows rules, seeks approval, very responsible. But on the inside, they're feeling a lot of guilt, hurt, and inadequacy. But they do a really good job of, of really kind of taking care of the family unit. Mm -hmm. And I know I've always heard like, if you were a like a hero child, like you were the golden child in the family, you may grow up and be the enabler, mm -hmm. caretaker type person in an adult role. You know, you may uh, 
you were the successful child, you can grow up and be the one that takes care of everything and make sure the family shines as a, as an adult in a, in mm -hmm. a, in a family in your own, just, you can grow up and have your own dysfunctional family to run, <laughs> you know? <laughs> Um, I, I relate to the next one on our list a little too much, um, which is the scapegoat or the troublemaker, you know, the, the child that kind of the trouble gets pinned on, you know, you, you just, you're always the one to, to blame. So you may be, um, rebellious in response to how the family dysfunction is kind of going and you might get the majority of the maltreatment in a dysfunctional family role role and you may then become the person that a dysfunctional family is built around because you know a, a scapegoat or a troublemaker quote unquote in a dysfunctional family as a child may grow up and be the, the center of the dysfunction, the one with the addiction, the one with the acting out behaviors as an adult that the enabler is then trying to take care of. Yeah, I mean, the graphic refers to it as the, the problem child, kind of a, a big label to slap on a child. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I think of that even like in classrooms, you know, when there's like, it's always Johnny, you know, mm -hmm. his name's always on the board. He's always in detention. He's always going to be the one that we look to when something goes wrong in a school system. Right. Well, in our um, graphic refers to on the outside, you may see um, hostility, defiance. There may be a rule breaker, stay in trouble. On the inside, they're feeling rejection, hurt, guilt, jealousy, and anger. I like this graphic. Because I like to be able to look at how it looks on the outside versus what's going mm -hmm. on on the inside. And we can see that the inside looks so similar for all of the roles. Yeah. yeah, almost the same for each of them. Yeah, if we could just work at fixing that right. rather than trying to fix what the outside, you know, how it's manifesting. Mm-hmm get to the root of it. Mm -hmm. The next one is the lost child. Um, the lost child usually is the, the child that spends a lot of time alone, um, avoiding the family and its dysfunction. Um, they're often referred to as the forgotten child. And the graphic refers to, you know, what you may see on the outside is shy and quiet. They have a big fantasy life, also very solitary. They're maybe mediocre in their work. Um, attaches to things instead of people, not people. And on the inside, they're feeling rejection, hurt, and anxiety. And, and a lost child brings some relief, quite frankly, to a dysfunctional family mm -hmm. because the family, this child kind of rides the middle. They don't, like the hero, excel and get recognized for all the good stuff they're doing, but they aren't like the scapegoat or the problem child who's making trouble for the family that's getting recognized for that. They skate right in the middle so they don't get recognized for anything. Mm -hmm. That's a pretty lonely role to play. Yeah. And, but with treatment and change, this person is pretty amazing they're they're probably some of the stephen kings you know of the world who have these imaginations that can just be 
so amazing and so artistic whenever they're given the ability to express that in a positive way. Absolutely. We'll have next, we have the mascot. They kind of relieve the tension from a dysfunctional family. They kind of use humor to break the tension of what's going on in the family. They're kind of labeled the, the class clown, the family clown, but the benefit that they bring is, is the relief of humor to the situation. Uh, problem is that they can't be anything but funny. You know, even when the situation calls for some seriousness, this prob this person in this role has trouble being serious at any time. Um, I think of the classroom again, this person is the mascot. They are really distracting and mm -hmm. they bring some trouble but the teacher finds them cute and funny. So they don't get in a lot of trouble for the disruption that they bring. And it's kind of interesting to me. The uh, It says on the outside, you're going to see immature, cute, hyperactive, distracting and fragile, but on the inside, fear, anxiety and insecurity. And that's just to me when I think of folks that are, you know, constantly kind of deflecting with humor and things like that, that it is kind of a coping mechanism that's you know developed over time. And it's generally insecurities and things that lie underneath that. Yeah, I know I hear, I mean, especially in the first days of like stand-up comedy, a lot of comedians talking about being this person, you know, being this person that just always used humor to break the mm -hmm. tension, but that there's a lot of darkness to it. I think many stand-up comedians today are more like advocates and people who speak out and tell stories to get people's attention. I don't think that that means they don't have the the sadness, depression, and, and, and the darkness to it, but um, in, in, with humor, um, you can bring a lot of attention to situations that people are uncomfortable talking about. So I think that's one of the things that has changed a little there. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So those are kind of the roles that you would see consistently in a dysfunctional family system. And some of the more immediate effects of living in a dysfunctional family um, may look like social isolation and loneliness, um, development of mental health conditions, um, childhood PTSD, feeling extremely self-critical, low self-esteem, behavioral issues, and like we spoke about earlier, just a difficulty expressing thoughts and feelings, emotions, not being able to connect with emotions or express those emotions. And be, when you've kind of been raised in a system like that, so you've had this dysfunction in your environment over your uh, childhood, it really imprints on your brain. And so the way you respond to stressors is, is in unhealthy ways. You know, you have that flight or fight response that your nervous system has biologically activated all the time. And so long after you've left that family system, you can still be reacting that way just because that's just the pattern that your brain has grown accustomed to. And so if you have grown up in a dysfunctional family system, then you may think that, or you may not realize that maybe the way that you're reacting isn't the functional way. You may not even think that it's 
real that there are healthy families and that you could be part of a functional system, but families that are functional do exist. And mm -hmm. so I think it's important when we talk about dysfunction that we also kind of look at then if healthy is something that exists, what are the characteristics of a healthy family environment? Communication. Yes, freely. <laughs> Being and able to communicate freely. Yeah, without judgment. I mean, like you can walk into a, your, your living environment and feel just open to talk mm -hmm. about and, and, and compassionately, freely talk about how you feel and what you think. Right. And everybody's physical and emotional basic needs are met. So you've got water, food, clothing, shelter, belonging, your digestive needs are met, you know, just all of your major ma main needs are taken care of. And, and also you're unconditionally loved, you know, even when behaviors are disapproved of, you are loved. And through words and actions, a parent supports a child's emotional growth and children feel open to bringing up concerns or asking questions of their caregiver in a functional and healthy environment. And understanding that sometimes like I've, I've had this, I've experienced it and I've, I've heard this from people that sometimes on some level, you know, that you grew up in dysfunction, but you don't fully get it until you end up married to someone whose family is very, very different than mm -hmm. yours. Yeah. And you kind of get a, a glimpse into what, you know, some healthy attributes of a family look like. Mm -hmm. And that's something I've, you know, I, I definitely grew up in dysfunction, but like with my husband's family, they are just very much the opposite um, of what I grew up around everyone, you know, and, and I'm not going to say like our, our family was the worst on the scale, the worst on when we're looking at that scale, you know, we supported each other as much as we could. My brothers and sisters, like we all were close and, you know, but his family is just so tightly they're they're just so tight with one another they share you know openly his mom still will lay there and hold his hand or stroke his hair while he's sitting on the couch or you know just there's not any any fear any judgment they're able to talk openly with one another and i think you know as i've become an adult and like as my relationships have gotten you know more mature with my family that has become more of our norm but growing up i didn't see any of that you know i didn't experience any of that it was very much you know, the opposite, lots of yelling, lots of, you know, just to, just fighting. And I, I used to laugh and say, you know, all of our family functions ended in some kind of fist fight. Um, I remember on my 21st birthday, like going to a club with my family, which was very weird to begin with, but not even getting into the club because someone was getting carried out in a headlock like, <laughs> from my family, you know, That's just 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 a lot of a lot a lot of a lot of dysfunction mm -hmm. but I, I worked with someone once who said i knew that the family function that was going on was was over whenever someone started um whenever i started thinking that someone was going to go for the knife drawer <laughs> <laughs> like it's almost <laughs> over we're about to get to go home <laughs> right <laughs> like that's a lot well, some things that, you know, can definitely turn around a dysfunctional family or help you kind of learn how to get out of dysfunction, not repeat that is just obviously going through counseling and getting mm -hmm. some support. Yeah. You know, as adults, we get to make different choices. We get to make different decisions 
And like I said earlier, as soon as you realize that there's an issue, figuring out how to effectively cope with that issue, how to change, how to adjust whatever it is in order to practice healthy coping mechanisms, healthy ways of kind of dealing with the, the communication or the dynamic that's developed in the relationship, things like that. Mm-hmm. One of the things I really liked about the information we found to uh, talk about this topic today, talked about how effective online therapy has been recently, because like most adults and children feel most, most adults feel most comfortable at home. And so leaving your house to, for therapy can kind of be uncomfortable. Like when you first get into that therapist's office. So the so there were there have been some studies since we turned to uh, remote counseling so much, you know, since COVID, that people are more comfortable in therapy now because they are doing it from their home. Mm-hmm. I, I was really, I, I just thought that was, I don't know. I just I kind of always thought about it in the back of my mind that people probably were more comfortable or maybe you could kind of get to things quicker that way, but they actually had a study about it. And I was so mm-hmm. excited to see that like internet delivered therapy is really successful and it's actually reduced the severity of some symptoms of, of some of the participants because they are doing it from home. So they, there was actually a, a reduction in some of the symptoms of depression, PTSD, anxiety, just because they were doing the therapy from home. So they, it didn't escalate some of the responses that people have. It Mm. didn't worsen the existing issues because people were feeling kind of safe in their environment by doing the therapy from their home. Cause you can kind of just you're in your own house, you are already comfortable and you could X out of the session at any time you wanted, <laughs> you know? So that comfort that comes with that, it never dawned on me until I read this study that, that that was actually a thing, but that makes sense. Oh, it's really interesting. Yeah. And I can see how that, yeah, I can see how that's true. Yeah. I know we're promoting, we, we talk a lot about counseling and I don't mean to only promote counseling as the only way to work through things, but it just, it, it is, uh, we just have so many opportunities to do that today that we didn't, you know, 20 years ago. Even three years ago. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Every, even medical um, treatment, right. we have so much more access to just because of what happened with COVID, which is the upside to something that was pretty devastating to so many people. Yeah. But, I think a uh, a big takeaway from this is you, your past doesn't necessarily have to predict the outcome of your future. You always have the ability to find the support, find healing, professional help, whatever you need to change that we don't have to live the way that we were programmed to live. You know, we can do a clean sweep and begin to live the life that we want to and behave in the ways that we want to and begin to surround ourselves with people who support us and love us for who we are. It doesn't have to always, we just don't, we don't have to be dysfunctional forever. Very well said. This has been good information and I definitely learned a lot as we kind of read through this and researched this and I hope that it's been useful, helpful information for everybody listening. And as always, Don't forget that knowledge leads to a life lived better. 
Thank you for listening to Life Lived Better with Paula and Joseph.